Dear friends, um, tonight has been billed as the Sangha Surprise Talk. Um, it's in honor of our five-week, five-Tuesday October, as well as the fact that uh, we did not, as a program council, uh, create a specific topic for this evening ahead of time. However, this is not going to come out of the blue. I want to take up uh, some strands that uh, I began in August around um, deep listening about difficult things and reel that in with um, our uh, sharing last week about the retreat and how unskillful speech um, was very hurtful to some people. Um, and talk about, in fact, what it is to practice skillful speech around difficult subjects. Uh, we spend a lot of time practicing around and talking about sort of everyday skillful speech. And how do I be kind to this person I meet on the street or not yell at my kid or whatever, and um, that's all extremely <laughs> important, and the better we can practice with those small moments, um, of course, the better we can do in the bigger moments. Um, but I think it's also worth uh, attending to specifically to how we might express ourselves when there is something much more significant at stake. So how often do we hear someone say, I didn't mean to. What I really meant was, that's not what I meant. Especially our children, when they do something, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to break it. I didn't mean to drop it. I didn't mean to spill it. I didn't so, what I did. But how often do we find ourselves saying this or thinking this? And in our tradition, of course, we um, cultivate the practice of being good listeners. So, deep listening is about. Um, trying to see into that intention and trying to be have equanimity and forgiveness when and not to infer malicious intent when someone says something or does something unskillful. But how often is there real harm done even without malicious intent. And one of the things that uh, was shared in some of the uh, conversation around the difficulties people had with unskillful speech at the retreat was that um, beyond intention, there is impact. And impact, even, even good intentions can create 
negative or, or harmful impacts. And we have to, as, as, um, as practitioners and as a, as a community, learn to see that and engage that and, and work with the impact that goes outside of our intention. So intention versus impact. Now, my own experience with this, I, um, I gave a, a, a little bit of a version of this talk a couple of years ago on one of the mindfulness trainings panel about skillful speech in which I shared about my own experience um, grappling with uh, anxiety and how anxiety will collapse my view of what's possible, what other people are, are thinking or are about, and how my work with that, uh, both as a practitioner and in therapy in other ways, has been about re-expanding my view, uh, opening up to the possibilities, seeing possibility where I once maybe saw a single thing. And I have had to work with this disconnect between intention and impact in my own relationships, where I spent a lot of time in my life thinking that I, I was a good person. I was, I was trying to do things for all the right reasons and say things because they were true or because I really was, was trying hard to express myself, explain something that was important to me. And I think I thought that that was sort of a free pass. Um, and that I didn't necessarily uh, have to overtly or explicitly account for how that would, what I might say, might affect other people. And it's not that I completely insensitive, but that the notion of, of having, having pure intentions being um, a very overriding principle was, was part of my operating assumptions. And I had to, had to confront that. I had to acknowledge that things I said and did caused harm over the years in my primary relationships, even though I, I didn't mean to. And that has involved a lot of deep looking and some deep listening and some courage and other things. So I know that this takes a long time. This is not an overnight process. It's not just a little pep talk. Or, um, there's a lot of, of practice and diligence that goes into this. Um, but there is also, in, in relation, this is, this is something that we cannot do by ourselves. It is inherently something we are in relationship with others when we, when we speak skillfully. We're always speaking to someone. So I guess what I want to um, highlight is that, so 
I think there are times when uh, a difficult subject comes along, such as sexual violence or um, personal trauma of any kind, that um, many of us have something that we feel is really, really important to say. And we almost don't care what, how it's received because it so, feels so important to speak the truth. And what I want to invite us to consider is when we feel that, that motivation, we feel called to speak that truth, are we, as is sometimes said, afflicting the comfortable or comforting the afflicted? Can we do both at the same time with the same words when both the comfortable and the afflicted are listening? Speaking truth to power, afflicting the comfortable, speaking truth to power or to those who have caused harm may not be the same as speaking the truth of the powerless or the injured. Those things may not be able to be accomplished with the same words in the same moment. And so how we imagine who we are speaking to and how we connect to their truth and their lived experience is a really critical part of skillful speech. Now we have some help here. Um, we've visited the, the circle of the Eightfold Path on numerous times, and um, it has this sense of a, of a, of a cycle as well as uh, interconnections between right view, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right diligence, right awareness, right concentration, and right view. So circling around, and some of the visions of that consider that a circle. And I just want to emphasize this flow um, almost back upstream from speech, skillful speech and action, informed by clear, true understanding, perception, which is supported by diligent mindfulness and awareness, cultivating awareness. Now, the wrinkle that I want to introduce here is that um, when we, and this is where I think some of the challenges around this, this, this enterprise of speaking, speaking truth to, to power or speaking to the truth of the powerless. Um, one of the, the differences in developing, or, or some of the ways that we 
develop, quote, right view or, or clear understanding. We talk a lot about seeing the world as it is. And that's a, a wonderful touchstone, a wonderful uh, pr principle for practice. But the question always arises, what part of the world are we looking at when we try to see it as it is? So are we looking outward into an abstract collective of statistics and um, the news and sociology and um, philosophies about how things work in some general way? And that can cause us to express a certain truth about how we think the world works, both what we have developed as an idea around that and then how we might want to try to enlighten other people about that. But there is also the looking and seeing as it is, as they are our audience and our listeners. Where are they coming from? What is their experience? their place in the world? How can we imagine how that informs how they will receive what we have to say? And that's a much more uh, intimate, relational view, form of understanding. And it's frankly one that I've struggled with all my life. I'm a very, very intellectual person. I, I've spent most of my life with ideas and big picture things and trying to convince other people of the, of the reality of those views. And it has been a much, much more challenging, much less intuitive uh, enterprise, activity, practice for me to really see people as they are, see you as you are. But it's been incredibly rich and incredibly rewarding and brought me home to myself to work with that. So, then skillful speech and action goes beyond our initial intention, which frankly can often be very reactive and momentary, and tries to imagine impact through contemplation, deep looking, deep listening. And even though we can't, of course, fully know exactly how everyone else is thinking, because we are not them, we can make some effort to open ourselves to thinking that is not ours. And that's what I hope to do, because I have also had to come to terms with the fact that not everyone thinks the way I do, and thank goodness. But it also then opens up that challenge of, well, what are you thinking if you're not thinking what I think? And that is then a profound experience of inner being, that connection that goes back and forth. 
And so if this also then brings back balance and symmetry to the act of speaking and listening. Because again, if we, ex if we ask those who listen to us to listen to us deeply, like taking us for who we are as we speak, and not judge and put their preconceptions on what we're saying, then from the other side, we then try to see our listeners as they are in order to offer them something useful, something helpful, something of value, something that creates more connection instead of distance. And that is, of course, extremely effortful for most of us. <laughs> but again, I would offer that it is foundational in our, in our practice and um, one of the ways that we bring our practice out to the world. I'm constantly drawn to the, there are the five contemplations that talk about um, I am of a nature to grow old. And I will everything I that I am that is close to me I will lose. And the final one is my actions are my only true belongings. They are the ground upon which I stand. And in Buddhist thought, uh, our words are actions. They are, not, they are not separate from our actions. So we are invited to stand on the ground of our words as actions.